welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is john fortes from the fortes company welcome john how you doing rama uh, i'm glad to be here and i'm excited to be here thanks for being on the show a little bit about john fortes uh, john fortes also known as the passive investing consultant founded the fortes company which partners with working professionals seeking to invest in commercial multifamily apartments but do not have the time by leveraging john's experience he has helped families invest in over 70 million in multifamily investments that's allowed them to secure financial security preserve and grow their wealth as well as compound their investments as they achieve their financial independence john is also the host of one of the hottest real estate podcasts the passive investor show for working professionals so with that john would you like to add anything to your background no nah, man i i thank you for uh, having me and um yeah my background is pretty simple it's uh i the way i got started the way everybody else does is they review where they are in their state of life and they analyze it and project it out and if it doesn't match up we uh we adjust accordingly right so that's when i started looking at the stock market and comparing it with real estate and i really understood real estate and i kind of took off with it so it started with one single family home and then transitioned into multifamily immediately after that so that's kind of the quick version of how i got here how many assets are uh, units your company controls now uh we control um i believe it's 600 units um 600 units under management we just sold 41 units in the middle of covid uh we held it for about 15 15 months i believe and yeah our investors were happy to see their returns in the middle of covid so it was uh, it was pretty uh, gratifying Awesome. So how many are as active and how many are as passive? Oh, yeah, sure. So I am passive in 528 units as well as uh active in that as well and I am uh active on active side I am active on 600 the 600 units that I have remaining. Uh I can't remember the exact number count right now since we dispositioned from 41. So uh yeah, so um general i'm active on 600 something and passive on 500 and something okay so what markets you invested and what markets you are looking to invest yeah so the markets i i usually uh look for is uh merging markets so i do a strict criteria on markets that i find interesting uh if i i do a deep dive i deep dive into markets that i we already know about that we already have under our belts that we already did our analyst on analysis on uh so i like texas dallas msa area i like uh the carolinas i also like uh central florida going north to uh gainesville um but certain areas in that in that uh kind of space right there i gave you a bit a broad central florida gainesville but it's certain areas that we really enjoy those markets Uh usually they're on the coasts so east or west coast of Florida along that from central Florida going to Gainesville but um 
to keep it going. Um, we do like Huntsville, Alabama, and uh, obviously Tennessee is really well. So we, we're looking in, you know, a lot of different areas. We got teams in place and, you know, our, our processes allow us to track all of those. So anytime there is a new market, uh, we like to, for instance, if jobs are moving to a certain location, I like to go ahead and start analyzing the market and seeing why, why it might work. And, you know, if it's dependent on that, just that one job, I won't, I won't look any further, but if it is diversified within a bunch of other jobs, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll definitely keep my eye on it. For instance, uh, if Tesla's going in the middle of the country, I'll keep my eye on it just to see if other maybe companies are moving there or planning to move there. So it's certain, certain things like that that have to meet my MSA, my uh, criteria in a certain MSA. So yeah, it's a lot of things in motion. Right. Awesome. Uh, and what types of properties uh, your company are invest and what kind, what size of deals? Uh, so we look for a, a B or a C plus. So we like B class assets. So if you understand real estate, there's A class, B class, C class, D class, <clears throat> and we like B and high C. So, you know, we like value add opportunities. Sometimes value add isn't there, but you know, sometimes it's better to hit for singles than hit for the home run. So my philosophy is I like singles and doubles. If I can get that stream of type of cash flow in my returns, I'm okay with it. I'm not trying to look for the home run deal. I always tell myself there's no such thing as the perfect deal. So that's kind of how I, uh, I uh, focus when I'm making these investments. Okay. So what do you look in the uh, deal before investing? I look for the sponsor first. Who's controlling the deal? If I'm, not, if I'm participating as a limited partner, I'm looking at the people operating the deal. I'm looking at their track record. I'm vetting them. I know this is over and over. We all hear it from everybody, but it's true because for instance, uh, let me compare it to the stock market, right? So in the stock market, if uh, Coca-Cola announces a new CEO and everybody is fond of that CEO, the stock, the stock price skyrockets. Now, if Coca-Cola announces a CEO that everybody's like, oh man, not this guy or not this girl, you know, the stock, park, the stock price plummets. So why do I want to invest with someone that doesn't have a pretty good track record? So that's what I look for first when I'm investing in uh, an opportunity as a passive investor. But then I also start crunching the numbers. I have a background. Um, I'm, a, I'm kind of one of the advisors for underwriting on certain platforms. So what I do is I just review uh, people, the way people underwrite and I kind of push back on them to get them an idea of how it really works. Not just going off of, you know, rules of thumbs and, and not checking your numbers and, and basically stress testing the deal to make sure it fits. Don't let the deal, don't, don't try to fit the deal, make the deal fit your criteria. So if that makes sense, you want to make sure your numbers and, you know, anybody can manipulate spreadsheets and all of that. So I'm really, I'm really trying to vet the numbers as well after I vet the, the sponsors. And then I'll go ahead and at the same time, I'll start looking at the area and say, hey, what's, what's going on with this? Uh, do I, what's this area calling for? And why do you like this area? I'll ask questions. I ask a lot of questions anyways by nature. 
I'm just curious. I'm just curious. So, you know, it's just kind of a lot of things that I do before I invest my capital. And I understand that there's a, that's a lot and that's a, that's a huge process. So I'm trying, I'm in the middle of literally creating something that makes it easier for passive investors to not have to go through all those steps that I already go through when I'm looking at a deal. So, you know, it's just, um, it's just a lot of things in motion when you have to analyze before committing 50,000, a hundred thousand, you know, into a deal. Right. So from active side, what do you see in the deal? So on the active side, you know, you're, you're doing a lot um, in the beginning and the investors have no idea what, what you're doing because one, you're meeting with the broker, you're putting it through, through your financial stress test. Um, you're, you're underwriting it uh, conservatively. I know that's thrown around, but like you have to underwrite for COVID. You have to underwrite right now for no rent increases for like two years at least, right? Because one, the lenders are calling for, for underwriting like that. They, they want to make sure that the deal is going to fit what their needs are. And they don't want you relying on rent increases in which an economy is kind of in the balance right now, right? So you want to make sure you can find a deal without having to rely on a refinance. You don't want to have to rely on uh, rent increases going up and you want to rely on uh, the job markets moving to remote that for instance if if you're looking in the middle of a certain area and now companies are saying hey you can work anywhere now because remote what keeps them in your apartment and not move out of the out of the state and continue to work at their job so like you got to analyze all of that these days and um, as an active sponsor, you want to make sure you're in the right market. You're in the, you know, you're, you're vetting the deal. You are going through the inspection process. You are preparing the documents. You are putting the capital up to secure, secure the deal, meaning the earnest funds, uh, the deposits and all of that. Um, uh, as an active partner, you have a lot of moving parts. I mean, you can easily make a whole podcast episode off of the active side so yeah there's a lot of a lot to be involved on that yeah so what are the key things uh, we need to look when you select a team when you're selecting a team man track record man you got to see who's uh who's doing it right so what i mean by that is if you're going to hire a property management company i would want to know you know a little bit more about them than just being like Hey, Google search, come up. All right, I'm hiring you. It doesn't work like that. You need to know exactly if they can, if they can basically um, execute on your business plan because once you take the deal and you put it in their hands, now you know, you're hoping that they don't go ahead and just kind of manipulate numbers on, on that. So you got to have trust and, and vet the actual property manager or whoever you're working with, um, you got to vet them thoroughly because as you know, you're working with these people and just like passive investors are working, are vetting, uh, sponsors in deals. Once you put your capital in, you're tied to that sponsor for the next five, seven, 10 years. And that's why you have to vet each other accordingly. So when you're building a team, it's the same thing. It's the same model. You're working with that person 
for the, you're expecting to work with that person for the next five to 10, 10 years or however long that your holding period is. And at the same time, you have to have a backup plan because if that person doesn't work out, for instance, if I, I know plenty of GPs that have moved on from property management company and had to shift to another property management company. And it happens because, you know, it's just part of the game where someone says that they can do something, but they can't deliver or they're um, manipulating numbers to make it look good so they can get a bonus or something. It's just, you got to be able to spot those things. And if you don't, you could be taken for a ride. Awesome. So your offerings are Finance 6B or Finance 6C? My offerings are 506B. Uh, and the difference between them is on a 506B, and please, I'm not an attorney. <laughs> so this, this is the reason why I decided to do 506B is because I have to get to know my my investors and they have to get to know me. So we have to have a pre-existing relationship. What does that look like? Um, we just have to know each other and get familiar with each other before I can even show you a deal. I can't even talk to you about a deal prior to that, about a, a, a upcoming deal. That's what I mean about that. Um, and I got to be careful about how I'm talking to you about previous deals. Uh, so with that said, on a 506C, I could go out and Oh, let me back up. 506B, I can take up to 35 sophisticated investors and then the rest have to be accredited um, if I'm trying to fill a fund. And on a 50, now, now we'll talk about a 506C, everybody has to be an accredited investor and they have to be um, thoroughly vetted and you have to prove that they are an accredited investor. And what that allows me to do is I can go and advertise and say, hey, uh, I can put an ad in the paper looking for investors, blah, blah, blah. You know, if, if people still put ads in papers. Cool. Best places to find your investors and how do you qualify them? Well, the best places to find investors to start is your friends and family, your personal network, you know, people, people that trust you that see you doing this and, and they get curious. And the best way to do that is, uh, by passively investing yourself, right? So Rama, hey, check out this deal I got that I invested in. Look at these numbers. Oh my gosh, it's doing good. Oh man, I'm so glad I did this or blah, blah, blah. Um, now here, here, let's compare it to my stock portfolio and let's check out the returns and this and that. And we can, we can compare the fees and all of that. And if I show you all of that, Rama, and you're like, hey, John, Next time you come across something like that, let me know. I want to, I want to, um, I want to take a look at it or you should talk to my uncle. You should talk to my friend. You know, they're looking for opportunities like that and blah, 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 and this and that. So the best way to do it is to actually start passively investing yourself. If you're going to be looking to be an active investor and start building up your own database. Uh, and how do I uh, vet spot investors? Well, just as much as they are vetting me, I'm making sure that um, we can work together as well. So what I mean by that is if you're a type of person that has to have control, uh, it's, it's probably better suited that you go and take down a deal on your own because you want, you want control of the whole process, which is absolutely fine. If you can't let go and, and let the operators work, um, the operators already built their team and they have a trusted team and 
it's, you know, allowing them to work and focus on what they're doing really allows them to do their job efficiently and proficiently and allows them to just make those returns and, and, and hopefully try to exceed those returns that they've already gave you on the prospectus. So going forward, if you are trying to be, if you're asking questions, that's fine. But if you're asking too many concerned questions, it's not, it's not for you. If you're, if you're too scared, I, I probably won't let you invest in my deal. Actually, I, I shouldn't say probably, I really won't let you invest in my deal until you are absolutely comfortable. And that's, that's the type of person I am. I just don't want you to worry about you know, every night, if you're going to bed worrying about your investment because you're so nervous because it's your first time or something, it's something that I probably don't want you to have on your head or hanging over yourself. So you shouldn't have to live like that. <laughs> <laughs> so many good points. So who manages your property? We work with third-party property management. So um, we thoroughly vet them. We, 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 we go through an interview process and we, we uh, just kind of not, we don't pit them against each other. You can't pit them against each other really, but you, you're just trying to, I'm not looking for the cheapest deal. I'm looking for the right partner. Um, so at the end of the day, I want my assets to be ran in a professional manner. And, you know, if my business plan I'm never handing over. My goal is to never hand over unrealistic business plan to a property manager part uh, prop uh, company. So what I mean by that is a lot of newbies come in and they try to say, we're going to do this, 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 and it's so unrealistic. And then it doesn't give a chance. It doesn't give the property management company a chance to actually do what they're you know, supposed to do because the expectations are set way too high because the newbie investor really came in and just kind of said, Hey, we got to do all of this. And they put a lot of pressure on them. So I understand how to go and build out everything or implement everything or, or um, just implement the business plan in a phased out process and working with the professional management company. So you got to really thorough, thoroughly vet them. So to answer your question is, uh, you know, there's, there's companies you work with, but you got to vet them out and make sure that they are, you know, right for you. So, and you know, it's just like working with any investor. It's a sweet science to everything where just like you're vetting your investors, your investors are vetting you. You got to vet the property management company and your team and then go from there. So, um, and they're vetting you too, to like a good PM should really say, Hey, that's not, that's not realistic in this market. They should tell you. So if they're not, and you'll find out later on because they're just going to take your money up front in the beginning and then you'll, you'll find out later on. So that's how it works. So what, uh, what challenges you faced in managing any of your properties? That's a great question. One of the challenges we faced is um, uh, we're rehabbing our 62 unit and it's, um, it's just been a bear. It's been you know, a total renovation where we had investors, we had tenants leave the assets. Now, this is not something that I had investors come in on. I personally put up my capital invested in this deal. And it's just something like a, it's a JV. So it's not a syndication. 
<clears throat> and it's just a, a, a bear of a process. And it's taught me a lot. It's taught me how to vet a um, contract is better. It's taught me how to um, basically speed up processes. Um, it's just, it just helped me implement a lot of systems and processes on, on going forward on this deal. But it's, it's something that we're continuing to renovate and lease up. Um, it's been a long project for us, too long. And going forward, if we ever did something like this, which is not part of our criteria going forward, we'd be able to implement and go faster than we currently are right now. So it's taught me a lot. <laughs> so how long you your group uh, hold the properties? Oh, that, yeah, that's a great question. So for the JV opportunities, we try to hold for as long as possible. Um, we don't have, we have exit plans, but um, we're, we're looking for lifetime cash flow. Uh, but for our syndications, it's anywhere from five, seven to 10 years. So it all depends on what the fund is looking to do. Uh, we work with a lot of investors that have uh, self-directed IRAs. So they're not projected to retire for another five to 10 to 15 years. So we have specific funds that meet those criterias and, you know, that allow them to just kind of continue to do what they're really good at in this world. If they're doctors, lawyers, you know, basketball players, athletes, or whatever they are, allows them to do that for a living and focus on that while we just help in, um, by offering these funds where it helps just basically keep their capital working through real estate, through multifamily apartments. Okay. So what benefits of passive investors will get by investing in apartments? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, probably one of my favorite questions is uh, when you're investing in real estate, multifamily apartments, uh, there's, there's five ways you get paid. And a lot of people don't know that. Uh, so the, the first way is like through appreciation. Naturally, historically, it's 6% per year. Um, and then there's, there's cash flow. The rent income minus all expenses equals residual income. And then the loan pay down, tenants pay the monthly finance debt and the tax benefit. The mortgage interest deductions, depreciation can all be helpful and offset the, you know, against the income generated from the asset. And then the inflation hedge, uh, which is number five. So inflation eats at the value of your pile of savings at the bank, right? And at the same time, if you're invested in a real estate at transaction, inflation also eats away at the mortgage debt balance the same way, right? So factor 2% inflation bump every year, your interest only pay, loan pay down in a multifamily apartment today is worth less tomorrow. Great answer. So what, what's your split structure with uh, passive investors or limited partners? It's 70-30 split. Uh, our funds offer a 220, so it's a 2% uh, asset management fee. And then there's a 20% carried interest uh, to the general partners. So, uh, but as far as a syndication structure is uh, a 70-30 split, uh, usually there's a PREF involved and... Um, it, it all, it, the prep is all different. It's been going down yearly. So it used to be consistently eight. 
it's in the low sevens right now, so I can see it going to the high sixes. It's just uh, the prep is always a sliding scale, depending on market cycle and all of that. So it, it depends on where you are in the market cycle and where you, where you are in the market as well. So offering a prep is, you know, just kind of like, hey, this is what we're going to do to get you capital first as a limited partner and before we get paid as general partners. Cool. So how frequently they'll get paid? Well, it depends. Each deal is different. And that's another great question because there are assets where, for instance, the 41 unit, we're paying quarterly. And on, on our 528 unit, we are paying uh, monthly. So every asset is different and it all depends on how you're set up. If you're set up correctly, you can, you know, with, with technology these days, you can pay monthly, you know? Um, and that's a, that's a big deal for our investors. Um, even though every deal is different. So some deals off of the quarterly and some deals off of the, um, the monthly. Okay. So how do you communicate with your investors? That's probably the best thing that I do. Uh, as far as, anything. I over communicate. I like to let people know exactly what the status is of, of their capital. Uh, because I'm a, I'm a fiduciary. I have a fiduciary responsibility. So I communicate, I over communicate. Most of my investors, I have a, a, a really, really great unique relationship where we text back and forth. Um, you know, and it's, it just naturally happens. It's not something I force or they force. It's just, the way the bond just naturally happens. So I communicate well on email. I communicate well on text. I call, we have conversations. If someone has a question, if, if they email me, I'm trying to answer them within 24 hours. So communication's huge, huge for me. And that's literally um, probably one of my focal points on, on this side of the business, because I don't want to waste anybody's time. And I don't want to be taken as a, Oh man, you know, why, why I don't want anybody ever thinking, why isn't he getting back to me? So even if I don't know the answer, I'll get you, I'll get you the answer and you know, the best way I can. So I guess you mentioned uh, for one of the, your deal, you come, you, you sold and you completed full cycle, right? So how was that experience? Yeah, it was, um, it was funny. Cause, um, uh, obviously it's, it was a great experience. We were owning, we owned it for like six months and then brokers were approaching us saying, Hey, we have buyers interested in the area and want this asset and this and that. So we kind of kicked it around internally and we said, you know, around six to nine months, we were, we were, we were getting asked by brokers. So we said, you know what, if you guys are willing to wait at least till we have it for a year, because it's all strategic at that point. If we sold it within a year, which we could have, which would have been a bad move because our investors would have never invested with us again. The reason why is they would have got hit with short-term capital gains. Um, and why would we want to put our investors in that position? So we told them, you know, if, if you can meet these numbers, this is where we, we like. Uh, we told the broker, if you can meet these numbers, and meet this price right here. And at the end of the day, they said, and, and another, and another, another criteria to that was after this date. And they said, okay, 
so we did it. Uh, we kind of put it on the, you know, on the, on the table. They came back with a buyer and the rest was history from there. So they, they waited the game out and met our criteria of what we offered. And um, at the same time, our investors, you know, it was, it was fun for them because they were out of a deal. But, but the only thing is the deal was so good. It was producing uh, 9% cash on cash return. Now, here's the reason why we sold. Um, if you are already getting about 60% of a return on your capital after about 15 months of holding, it does not make sense to go and capture the 40 remaining percent in the next four years. So that was the biggest incentive for us to sell because it doesn't make sense to wait at the end of the day, another four years to get 40% more when you can, when you've already made 60% in 15 months. Great. So what is your greatest success in multifamily investing, John? Uh, greatest success is, 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 and, and it's truly just been by, uh, the, the, the people I've met. Um, I would say that is the best, the best success I've had is because the people I've met, I've either learned from, or, um, I've had the opportunity to just kind of like partner with, or just opportunity to just get to know. And, and, and I love, I, I'm a natural people person. So I love people. And even though, you know, it's real estate, it's just the people in the industry. They're all great. They're, you know, a lot of them are really, really, really good people. And the ones that I've, I've met, I've been fortunate enough to really just, you know, build and cultivate relationships with. So that's kind of been the most, probably the most success. Um, obviously, the 41 unit as an asset, was, you know, was very successful because it, it allowed me to go full cycle on a deal. And there's a whole lot after that when, you know, there's a roll-up process and stuff that goes on after that, which is, you know, dissolving the LLC and everything else. So, you know, that, that's, that's basically where the learning came in. So, uh, you know, going through it once, but now, you know, and it's kind of cool what to expect going forward and, you know, having some experience under your belt and, you know, it's just part of the game of growing and, and knowing. Yep. So uh, any challenges you faced uh, during early stages of uh, multifamily journey? Yeah, the 62 unit. Uh, I, I believe I touched on it earlier in the show. And, uh-huh. you know, it's just been a learning experience where um, it really taught me and my team how to vet the contractors, you know, vet thoroughly the contractors because, you know, every, every, every day, every second is precious as far as uh, basically if someone owns a single family unit, right? a single family house and you don't have any tenants in there, you know, you're carrying the cost of everything. So that's why every repair or renovation is crucial to get a, a tenant in there so that you don't have to carry that cost anymore. So yeah, everything's crucial. And that was the biggest lessons in the 62 unit. Okay. So what was your biggest failure so far and how did it change you? I, I, you know, fa- failure for me is, um, it's just, a, 
It's something that didn't have work out and we just refined the process to make it better. And that's, I wouldn't call it failures. It's just kind of just, how do I improve things? So it's the 62 unit. It's not a failure. It's just slow. So how do we improve it and go faster, which we already doing are doing now. And that's the thing, right? So it's, you know, I don't look at things as failures. So I kind of really don't look, you know, register that word the way others register it. So yeah, it's just refine and, and repurpose. Okay. So how do you see COVID impact on multifamily side? The COVID impact? Well, I think it's still too early. I think, you know, we're in, I, I truly believe, um, in the next three to six months, we'll know a little bit more because everything still feels like everybody, like as far as multifamily, everything's firing on all, all cylinders still. In the next three to six months, we'll know a little bit more. Um, a, a lot of clarity will come, come to light is what I'm trying to say. Right. So what is your current focus and share something uh, you're currently excited about? Yeah, my current focus is, uh, you know, my funds. So uh, I'm just kind of excited about uh, being able to help passive investors diversify their portfolio. And, and I'm not talking about through one deal. It's, you know, the funds allow us to, to really expand in multiple deals as a passive investor. So I'm excited about that. And I'm still creating uh, one of the funds. So I don't have all the logistics at the moment, but it's going to be fun putting it together. And I'm really looking forward to uh, literally uh, the conversations I'm having with my attorneys to help me structure it. Good luck. Thank you. What is the best advice you, you have received? Man, the best advice is, um, I don't know, man. It's just keep going. Um, have a reason for, for why you're investing. Um, have a reason for why you're doing anything. So I don't do anything without reason. And one of the biggest reasons why I do a lot of things, for instance, uh, the Passive Investor Show, I created that because I wanted my kids to know what I was passionate about. And I, you know, if anything ever happened to me, they can go back and listen to those recordings of podcasts as I did uh, with guests and with myself. And they can go back and hear what I did, what I've improved on. And I did it selfishly. And since then, I've turned it into the, uh, the only ranked podcast for working professionals seeking, seeking passive investing strategies. And that's been kind of gratifying and kind of like overwhelming. So it's kind of just, it's, it's different, you know, I did it selfishly because I wanted my kids to have somewhere where they can hear my voice. And I know um, that they can have my voice anywhere in their pocket on their phones and, and stuff like that on the go as they're growing up. And my kids are 10 and six and, you know, they, they don't even know but they know I have a podcast, but they don't even know why I'm doing it. It's just funny. So that's kind of like, you know, you know, just keep going, have a purpose. It's just find out what you're good at. And if you're good at your day job and you make a ton of money, find a way to build your wealth, preserve your wealth. Um, the stock market 
for me is something I don't understand very well. So I've divested out. Um, and I have a purpose. I have a plan on how I'm going to build and grow my criteria. Oh, my, uh, I have a criteria on how I'm going to build and grow my wealth going forward. So obviously I have a team, my accountants. I have um, policies in place. It's just little things that I have a, pu- a purpose behind as far as why I'm doing things. Great. Not only that helps your kids, even a lot of busy working professionals also. Yeah, so busy working professionals, it's, it's, it's more important for me to help them because of the fact that how it got started is my friends and family started reaching out saying, John, I see what you're doing. How can, I, how can you help me? And then uh, I started meeting people at conferences and, and, and through the podcast and online and uh, through my social media. And it's just kind of been crazy because now I get to help them, you know, be able to do what I've done. Now, as passive investors, working professionals, you know, you're good at doing something. You're offering something to the world. I don't want to take you away from that. So I created what I'm, what I'm doing is essentially I created it to be able to just help the world keep moving. So if I can help you, you can go and focus on, you know, creating that cure for cancer or, you know, entertaining crowds while playing, you know, sports games. Um, it's just you bring joy to the world in one way and I'm bringing joy to the world in another way. And the, and the way we combine those, we help each other, you know, help the world keep going forward. So any personal habits that contributes to your success? Yeah, I, I meditate every morning because I have a lot going on and <clears throat> it's just something that... Uh, I find really helps, I guess, organize everything going on in my head. So I work out and I meditate. Uh, some days are better than others with the, with the working out. But also uh, I work out literally to stay in shape because I'm also a basketball referee. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, that's another one of my purposes is, you know, why do I work out? Because I have to stay in shape and keep up with the kids on the basketball court because the kids never get older. They stay the same age, but I get older every year. So I got to stay in shape. Right. So one software tool that helped you to improve your productivity. Yeah. So I have a, a, a private and secure investor portal that I find is, you know, very very helpful for me because it helps me provide the documents, the PPMs, the K1s at the end of the year and upload them and and distribute them to my investors. Now, uh, why is that important to have a, a investor portal? Well, it's important because it allows the investors to not have to track their personal investments on a spreadsheet. Imagine if you can log in, Rama, and go ahead and see all your, your investments in one centralized location with the dashboard and all that and seeing how they're working and seeing how they're, you know, you know, if a fund is doing good, which one's doing better and stuff like that. Imagine being able to see all of that and track all that in one location rather than you having to update your personal spreadsheet 
I think that's, that's a thing of the past. Passive investors are way too busy and savvy these days to want to have to, you know, go one step further with their investments because if they're going to compare it between, yeah, the, the returns might, you know, succeed or, you know, supersede a, another avenue, but if they can log into their brokerage account and see all their investments and track it that way, why would they want to go ahead and track it on their own if you didn't have a passive, uh, you know, investor portal? Right. So John, like books that impacted your life. That's a great question. Um, the third door is my favorite book by Alex Benayan. It's, it's, it's a really great book because it tell it helps you think about processes in a different way or assist or way to do things in a different way. So uh, I'll just compare it to this. So if you're going to line up in a club, if you're going to go to a club, there's three ways to get in, right? And you already know two of them. One is waiting line like everybody else. Two is pull up like in VIP with like the special people. And then three is go through the back door, jump through the, uh, jump through the window, jump through the back window, jump through the, uh, walk through the back kitchen. Now you're in the, now you're inside the club. You got to figure out a way to get inside things. You got to figure out different ways to do things. So, you know, that's the best way I can uh, explain it. The third door. Okay. So one book that you would like to recommend to listeners. Um, you know, I, I read a lot of self-help books and man, um, it all depends on where you are in your life. So, uh, it, I read a lot of business books too. So, uh, I'm a huge fan of, uh, Ryan Holiday and Simon Sinek. So anything from Ryan or Simon. So John, like, uh, how are you giving back to community? Uh, me and my wife, we, um, you know, we, uh, we tied, we, we donate to charities with, uh, animal causes. Um, another thing is I'm a board, uh, I'm on, I'm on the board of directors for, uh, friends and mentors. We help, uh, young kids try to just basically we're trying to mentor them, um, through our impact in the community and just help them with, um, basically anything that, we've learned growing up in uh in a little city where we understand where the distractions come about so how do we help them guide them and navigate them through these distractions and and focus them keep them focused on school and impact and growing and becoming themselves awesome so what would you suggest to a new investor start with small deal or bigger deal and what is the reason I would say, I, I wouldn't say start with a smaller or bigger deal. I say start with a deal you can afford. Uh, everybody says go big and start where you can afford. If you want to do it by yourself, great. If you want to partner with someone, make sure you really understand who you're partnering with. And I don't partner with anybody unless I know them for a full, basically a full year. I need to know exactly how you are as a person, you know, and you can, I take my time with that because you got to, like I said earlier, if you're partnering with someone for, you know, you know, a five-year deal, you're with that person for five years, you know, so know who you're, who you're going into war with 
and then at the same time, um, why start with a number on it? Start with what you can afford. Don't say I need a 10 unit. I need a 10 unit. Don't say I need a two unit. Say I need something. Great answer, John. So with that, like best way we can connect with you. Yeah, man. Rama, thank you for having me on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Um, you can find me at johnfortes.com, F-O-R-T-E-S, or you can find me at passiveinvestorshow.com. You know, I focus heavily on the passive investor experience on the podcast. Please, if you can, go and subscribe to the show. Um, if you, you know, don't mind me saying that, Rama, I apologize. But uh, yeah, um, if you're looking to passively invest, you know, that's the show for the only show out there about passively investing. There's no other real estate passive investor show out there that's ranked. Thank you, John. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation and I appreciate for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, Rama, thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing. Thank you.